today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Meekness is strength under control. Think this through with me. Jesus, the personification of meekness. This is God incarnate, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, yet meek. He could have in an instant exercised His authority in His divinity, but did not. Have you noticed how most of the values of the world are in contrast to what God values? Today, Pastor J.D. will be encouraging you to be meek, not aggressive and proud. Jesus himself is the perfect example of meekness. He had power under control. He was humble and cooperated with his Father in heaven. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Philemon chapter 1 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. What follows are what I'll call the three ingredients in the recipe of success. I'm sorry I'm saying it like that, but for lack of a better way of saying it, it's the recipe of success to solve those serious situations in our Christian lives. And the first one is in verses 8 through 10, and it's that of meekness. Meekness. This is interesting because Paul knows that he has the God-given authority to order Philemon to reconcile with Onesimus, but he doesn't do it. He appeals instead on the basis of love, and says as much. And Philemon knows it too, by the way. And this is, again, true to form for the Apostle Paul, where, yes, I have the authority, Philemon, but listen, we have a situation here, and I want you to make the decision of your own volition, as we're about to see. And so I'm going to basically submit myself to you. I'm going to take the higher road, the lower seat. And in so doing, this is an example, a magnificent example of meekness. I would suggest that first and foremost, our posture when it comes to serious situations in our lives must be that of meekness, and never think for a moment that meekness is synonymous with weakness. Nothing could be further from the truth. Meekness is the relinquishing of strength, power, authority. As one aptly said it, meekness is strength under control. Think this through with me. Jesus, the personification of meekness. This is God incarnate, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, yet meek. He could have in an instant exercised His authority in His divinity, 
but did not. That's what Paul is doing here. It's strength under control. And this is exactly what Paul is demonstrating concerning Philemon. There's something here that I want to point out before we go any further, and it has to do with the difference between meekness and humility. They're similar, but they're not synonymous. Meekness is chiefly demonstrated in our attitude toward others, whereas humility is demonstrated in our attitude toward self. Think of it like this. Humility is not thinking of oneself more highly than they ought. That's humility as it relates to our attitude towards ourselves. Humility is not being full of self. That's humility. Meekness is the outward demonstration of humility in our attitude toward others. And that is the difference between meekness and humility. And suffice it to say, they both go hand in hand, especially when it comes to our attitude and our approach toward others to resolve an issue and a problem and a situation. This dovetails into our second one in verses 11 through 13. And it's that of selflessness. I know this is a firm grasp of the obvious, but selflessness is the antithesis of selfishness. I have a degree in selfishness. I could write a book on selfishness, and so could you too, so don't look at me all smug and pious. But when it comes to selflessness, we got a problem. (laughs) This is kind of foreign to me. It goes against the very fabric and the very nature, the sin nature within me. Because when it comes to me, well, it's all about me. As one has cleverly quipped, it's the unholy trinity. Me, myself, and I. And it shows up when we talk with people, right? You know what we like to talk about, right? Ourselves. And then when we're done talking about ourselves, we might say something just out of courtesy, like, you know, that's enough of me talking about myself. Why don't, why don't you talk about me? <laughs> Selfishness is insidious. Selflessness, dying to self, denying self. Here, Paul makes it very clear that he would much rather keep Onesimus with him as a help to him, which is interesting because he even says that Actually, I'd like to keep him because he can help me as you did when you were with me. Which means at one point, Philemon was there with Paul, for Paul, a help to Paul. And so now 
here's Onesimus, who apparently has replaced Philemon in Paul's life, a tremendous blessing, a huge help. He's very useful. Some of your translations render it profitable. You know, it's kind of ironic because that's what his name means. Onesimus means useful, profitable. And so this is sort of a sanctified play on words when he writes to Philemon and he says, Philemon, he's, I know he wasn't useful, profitable to you when he was with you, but he is to me now and you too. But here's Paul, again, true to form. He takes the higher road, the lower seat, and makes the decision to selflessly send Onesimus back to him, knowing that he will be useful and a blessing to Philemon. It's deeming someone else as being more important than you. He's a blessing to me, Philemon, but you know what? I'm elevating your needs above my own. What a novel idea. Sounds Christ-like to me, does it to you? Thinking about other people as being more important than you? Now, when Paul says that, I, I think to myself, okay, let's take this slow, not so fast. More important than me? Let's just start with as important as me. I could try to get there. That would be an easier do, but more important than me. I don't know about that. That's kind of a tall order. I don't know if that's an easy do, but that's what Paul's doing. I mean, if you really think about it, Philemon's not the one behind bars incarcerated in prison. Paul is. I mean, if, if we were to sort of evaluate this and examine this and decide this, who needs him more? Certainly Paul, because he's in chains. Now, by the way, let me just mention this. This is important, because when you think about prison in our day, it's nothing like it was in that day. When he says, I'm in chains, you know what that means? He was chained 24 hours a day to Roman guards. That's uncomfortable. That's awkward, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And, and these guards would be chained to these prisoners in shifts. <laughs> Boy, I wonder. Somebody must have been praying for the guard that had Paul's shift because he ends up getting saved. We actually talked about this a little bit in the prophecy update. You know, pastors today are being arrested and put in prison. And again, I I think it's probably worthy of noting and repeating again today, but it is so important because Paul says it a second time here in our text. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner of Rome. Paul knows that he's there not because of who's in office politically. He knows he's there because of who is on the throne sovereignly. And that changes everything. He's there because 
Jesus Christ allowed him to be there because Jesus Christ wants Paul to win people to him while there. And oh, in his spare time, write like four letters (laughs) that we affectionately refer to as the prison epistles. But he selflessly, in his meekness and humility, is willing to let go of his own rights. He had every right to keep Onesimus with him. He also had every right to demand and order that Philemon restore him as a brother, not as a slave. We're going to see that later in the letter. I want to spend the remainder of our time on this third one in verse 14, and I think you'll see why here in a moment. I really don't know if it's possible to overstate the importance of what Paul does here. He's submitting himself to Philemon. This is huge. This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. I'm not going to submit to you. You submit to me. Hey, and he even mentions it, not in the way we would think, but uh, Philemon, don't forget, I'm the one that led you to Christ. You owe your salvation to me, sharing the gospel with you. How about that? So I have every right to tell you what to do, and you have to do it on that basis. I know this is a... uh, a hard one to grasp because we live in a day and age where there is no respect for authority. Not in that day. When Paul writes to him and says to him, I do have this authority, Philemon knew exactly what he was saying. You do, Paul. And you're right, Paul. And all you would have to do is say the word and I would have to do it because that's how they respected authority in that day. You go to the Middle East today, it's the same. In my Arab culture in the Middle East, I'm just thinking about parents, you know, don't, don't we say this to our kids? I could have never talked to my mom and dad like that. I wouldn't be around to tell about it. <laughs> and you wouldn't be born either. So happy Mother's Day. <laughs> in the Middle Eastern culture to this day, by the way, when the elder, the father, walks into the room, everybody rises as a show of respect. And they don't sit until he sits. And get this, this was growing up, uh, you know, the cultural dynamics were just so polar opposite of what all my friends grew up under in America. When the elder, the one in authority, the patriarch, if you will, and the matriarch for that matter, but the patriarch particularly, when he walked into the room and you were sitting in the most 
comfortable seat or the highest seat, as it were. You, you gave that seat to them. If you, if you didn't stand up, you'll stand. <laughs> Believe me, you'll stand. You won't be around very long. You'll be out of there. But uh, you offer them your seat as a sign of respect. There's a submitting to authority. Now stay with me, because I'm going somewhere with this. Paul is submitting himself and the final decision to Philemon. I could order you to do this. I'm not going to do that. It's your decision. And I want your decision to be done of your own volition. I would suggest that submitting one to another in this way is the best way that we can resolve conflicts. Can we talk about marriage? What are you going to say? No. (laughs) We're going to talk about marriage just real quick. Maybe not real quick. Can I draw your attention to Ephesians 5 and verse 21? Uh, This is probably, I would argue, one of the most skipped over verses in all of the Bible. And this is due in large part to the verse that comes after it. Don't read verse 22, just 21. Stop right there. You already know what 22 is. You don't have to read it. Wives, submit to your husbands. Woman. That's a very loose paraphrase. That's verse 22. I know this will be deeply profound, but what comes before 22? 21. I know, right? Deeply profound. So in other words... Before verse 22, you have verse 21. We would do well to know what he says first in verse 21. Would you agree? What does he say? Submit to one another. (laughs) Wait, um, with all due respect, pastor, I'm the man of the house. Oh, really? Yeah. I wear the pants in my family. I'm the head of my home. Wow. How's that working out for you? Now please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about abdicating our God-given authority as the heads of our homes, men. But you know what our problem is? When it comes to the things that we want to be the authority in, we're right there. But what about taking the lead when it means taking the higher road? See, (laughs) we're really quick to exercise our God-given authority, right? We're going to take the lead. I'm the spiritual leader in my home. Okay, great. 
why don't you take the lead and submit? Why don't you be the first one in the lead to submit? Here's an example. This, of course, is theoretical for me because as the pastor I have a perfect marriage. So (laughs) this is theoretical, hypothetical, right? So let's say you have a husband and wife and um, they're having a conflict slash argument or as one pastor called it for a pastor and his wife, it's called intense fellowship. (laughs) I mean, you're going at it back and forth. Me, what about you? That's the pot calling the kettle black. I mean, you know all of them, right? And, And there's actually two words that you will find very prominent, very pronounced in these intense moments of fellowship as husband and wife. You know what those two words are? They're trigger words. Be careful when you use them. Always and never. Oh my goodness. You always. You never. Again, I'm talking hypothetically. This is not for me. I have a perfect marriage. So you're standing your ground, and so is she. And the more she digs her heels in, the more you dig your slippers in. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just escalates until someone takes the lead out of reverence for Christ, says, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. And then sometimes you start fighting the other way. Wait, you can't do that. No, I'm sorry first. You start fighting again about who's more repentant and who's more submissive, who's more selfless. Is it not true that when that happens, it just diffuses the whole situation? Now we can talk. Now we can talk. A soft answer turns away wrath. It's a humbling of oneself. It's a submitting of oneself to the other and saying, you know, here I am in my smugness defending myself, attacking you and then you're defending yourself and attacking me, and it just makes it worse. What are we doing? You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. Pastor J.D. has been teaching through the book of Philemon. This book is a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to a man named Philemon. The meat of the message is related to Philemon's slave running away, and how Paul encouraged Philemon to forgive his slave, who had come to know Christ. This idea of forgiveness isn't new, but it's not always easy to do when you feel you've been wronged. Forgiveness is truly an act of God in your heart. Are you wrestling with forgiving someone for a wrong they've done to you? 
If so, this book may be a helpful reminder that God calls us to forgive just as He's forgiven us. If you'd like to hear this message again, head over to our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're on our website, you can access more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates. There are many topics covered that might be of interest to you. Again, our website is calvarychapelkaneohe.com. If you're interested in listening to these messages on the go, search for In Spirit and Truth in the iTunes Store. You can also watch the Aloha Bible Prophecy Update at jdfarag.com. We're nearing the end of our time with you today, but we're glad you listened in. These messages are interesting and insightful, and it's something to look forward to. We hope you'll join us next time as Pastor J.D. will teach through God's Word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, right here on In Spirit and Truth.